Today's reading is John 14, verses 15 to 31. If you love me, you will obey what I command. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever, the Spirit of Truth. The world cannot accept him, because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you will know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love him and show myself to him. Then Judas, not Judas Iscariot, said, But Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus replied, If anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. My Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. He who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. All this I have spoken while still with you. But the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all these things, and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not be afraid. You heard me say, I am going away, and I am coming back to you. If you loved me, you would be glad that I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. I have told you now before it happens, so that when it does happen, you will believe. I will not speak with you much longer, for the prince of this world is coming. He has no hold on me, but the world must learn that I love the Father and that I do exactly what my Father has commanded me. Come now, let us leave. Hi friends, my name is Adam. I'm part of the team here and it's so great to have you join us today. We are in week four of a sermon series that we've called Untroubled Hearts. We're looking at chapters 13 to 16 of John's Gospel. We're exploring Jesus' final words to his disciples. It's the night before his crucifixion. Jesus has just told them that he's leaving them and that they cannot follow him. Understandably, the disciples are troubled, disappointed and confused. The fact is, any time we have to say goodbye to a loved one, it's incredibly difficult. Sometimes it's because they move away. I've had many, many good friends over the years either move interstate or overseas. I'm still not sure whether I should take it personally. But even though it's not the end, we're still able to talk on the phone and we're still able to see each other occasionally. It's still hard and it's still sad. Other times, though, it really is the end. We have to say goodbye to a loved one who dies. And we have to be content with our photos and our videos and our memories because their presence is no longer with us. Today, in this passage, Jesus makes an astonishing promise. He tells the disciples that though he is leaving them, he will not leave them alone. He will continue to be present with them through the presence of the Holy Spirit. Spirit. Now, I wonder what comes into your mind when you think about the Holy Spirit. 
Perhaps you're not a Christian. Someone's invited you to check out church today and we're glad to have you along. But maybe to you, the idea of the Holy Spirit seems a bit like hocus pocus. I mean, maybe you fall into that category that Jesus identified in verse 17. You don't believe in the Holy Spirit because you can't see Him. Now, if that's you, I would invite you to consider the possibility that we are more than just purely physical creatures. That our world is more than just matter. That there is a spiritual aspect to our existence. The fact is, we believe in many things that we can't see. For example, Jesus once compared the Holy Spirit to the wind. Now, we can't see the wind, but we can see its effects. In the same way, we can't see the Holy Spirit, but I would say we can see the effects of the Spirit. We can see the spread of the church, and we can see the millions of lives that have been changed all across the globe. Maybe you're a Christian, and when it comes to the Holy Spirit, you have some baggage and some questions. Maybe you grew up in a church tradition that seemed to ignore the Holy Spirit. He was like the crazy uncle that you just never talked about. Or or maybe you grew up in a church tradition that seemed to obsess over the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was all anyone ever talked about. And it's left you a little bit confused. Well, today in this passage, Jesus helps us to understand the person and the role of the Holy Spirit. Now, the first thing that we need to say is that the Holy Spirit is not an it. Did you catch what Jesus said about the Holy Spirit in verse 17? He said, The world cannot accept Him, because it neither sees Him nor knows Him. But you know Him, for He lives with you and will be in you. The Holy Spirit is not a substance like petrol, nor is the Holy Spirit an impersonal force like in Star Wars. Now, the Holy Spirit is a person. The Bible says that we can grieve the Holy Spirit, that we can lie to the Holy Spirit. The Bible, in fact, even says that the Holy Spirit is the third person of the triune God. And this is why the Holy Spirit is such an incredible gift. This is why Jesus actually goes on to say in chapter 16 that it's good for Him to leave. Because his departure, his leaving, means the arrival of the Spirit. Now, I wonder if you've ever thought at some point in your life, if only I could have lived while Jesus was on earth. If only I could have seen him teach and seen his miracles and witnessed his resurrection. Then I would have stronger faith, or or then I might even have a faith in Jesus. Now, it's tempting to think that way, but Jesus says it's just not true. Jesus says it's better that He goes away because His going means the coming of the Spirit. And that means the question that we have before us is, why? Why is it better to have the Spirit within us than Jesus beside us? What does the Spirit bring for us or give to us? Why is the Holy Spirit so precious and so essential for us? This is the question that Jesus answers in this passage. And Jesus shows us that the Spirit brings three things to us. Number one, the presence of God. Number two, the truth of God. And then number three, the peace of God. So let's look at these three things. Firstly, the presence of God. 
Now, probably the saddest reality when a loved one leaves us is that we'll no longer be able to enjoy their presence. We won't be able to talk with them, to share a meal with them, or even just to be near them. And this is what makes Jesus' promise in verse 18 so reassuring. This is what he says. He says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Jesus promises to come to the disciples. Now, of course, Jesus will reappear to the disciples after his resurrection and before his return to heaven. But even more significantly, Jesus will come to the disciples and will come to us through the presence of the Holy Spirit. Now, notice how Jesus describes the Holy Spirit in verse 16. He says that the Spirit is another advocate. Now, both those words are important. The word advocate is the Greek word parakletos. Now, this is a notoriously difficult word to translate. It's been translated as helper, comforter, counselor. It essentially means someone who comes alongside you to help you in your time of need. Think about a paramedic. A paramedic comes alongside you in your time of need. They help you, they heal you, they comfort you, they are with you. Or it's also been used in a legal sense, like a lawyer who comes to you in your time of need to defend you and to speak for you. In fact, there's a law firm that has as its slogan, we're on your side. And this is what Jesus is saying about the Spirit, that through the presence of the Spirit, God is on our side. He's with us, He helps us, He supports us and strengthens us. But notice that Jesus says the Holy Spirit is another advocate. Which begs the question, who is the other advocate? Who else has been with us and helping us and strengthening us? And of course, if you've been around church for any time, you know the answer is Jesus. I mean, Jesus is the other advocate. Throughout His ministry on earth, Jesus was helping and strengthening the disciples. And this means the Holy Spirit will continue to be for them what Jesus has been for them. The Holy Spirit is coming, in a sense, to take the place of Christ. J.I. Packer, who is one of the greatest theologians of our generation, he describes the Holy Spirit as Jesus' other self. The Apostle Paul in Romans 8 describes the Spirit as the Spirit of Christ. In other words, the Holy Spirit is not like a substitute teacher, who comes into the classroom and does everything totally different to your normal teacher. A different style, a a, a different approach. No, the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Jesus. And the Holy Spirit will continue Jesus' ministry. I mean, Jesus came to bring God to us and to bring us to God. And this is what the Spirit will do as well. I mean, Jesus says in verse 17 about the Spirit, you know Him, For He lives with you and will be in you. I mean, Jesus was with the disciples while on earth, but the Spirit will be in them. He will dwell in them as He does for all who place their faith in Jesus. Now, there's a lot of mystery here, but here's what this means for you if you're a Christian. And I think this is especially meaningful for many of us at the moment. It means that you are not alone. You might be spending a lot of time at home at the moment. You might not be seeing many other people, if any at all. 
But God is saying to you today, you are not alone. God is with you by His Spirit. And even better, you will never be alone. Jesus says in verse 16 about the Spirit, He will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. No matter what the situation might be, there might come a day where you're living alone. Maybe you've moved away, maybe your family's moved away, maybe your close family members have passed away. But if you are a believer in Christ, you will never be alone. You won't always feel God's presence, you won't always be conscious of God's Spirit, but God's promise to you is this. If your faith is in Jesus, you will never be alone. And this is why it's better for Jesus to go away and for the Spirit to come. I mean, this helps us to understand why Jesus says it's good that He's going away. I mean, imagine if Jesus stayed on earth. He continued to preach and teach and heal around Jerusalem. Now, you would not be able to buy a plane ticket to Jerusalem if you tried, let alone get close to Jesus. There would be massive crowds and huge lines. It would be almost impossible to get close to Jesus. But now, because the Spirit has been poured out into our hearts, God is always near to us and God is always close to us. We will never be alone. And this is why it's better for Jesus to depart, because the Spirit will bring to us the presence of God. And this brings us to the second thing that the Spirit gives to us, and that is the truth of God. The truth of God. Now, Jesus makes a remarkable promise to the disciples in verse 26. He says, The Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Now, this is a reference to the writing of the New Testament. Many of these disciples to whom Jesus is speaking, they would go on to write much of the New Testament, to write about Jesus' words and His deeds and His teaching. And Jesus is saying that when the Spirit comes, the Spirit will enable you to recall all that I said and all that I did. And the Spirit will enable them to record it accurately and truthfully. This means that at the ultimate level, the Holy Spirit is the author of the Bible. This is the way it's put in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. All Scripture is God-breathed. And this helps us to understand the incredible unity of the Bible. I mean, the Bible was written, I don't know if you know this, over a period of roughly 2,000 years by 40 different authors on three different continents who wrote it in three different languages. I mean, that's incredible diversity. And yet, if you read the Bible, you will find that there is an amazing unity. I mean, the Bible really has one overarching ultimate theme, the salvation of God's people. It has one ultimate hero, Jesus Christ. And that is because it has one ultimate author, God Himself. And this means, as believers in Jesus, we should be grateful for the Bible. We should treasure the Bible. We should read the Bible. We should be shaped by the Bible because it's the very Word of God to us. In fact, for the believer, the Bible is kind of like a pair of reading glasses. Now, much to my disappointment, I had to get a a pair of reading glasses this year. And I didn't buy these glasses because I wanted to sit them on my desk and admire them. 
because I wanted to dissect them and talk about them. I bought these glasses because I need to put them on to see properly. And this is kind of like the Bible for us. It's good for us to read and to discuss and to learn about the Bible, but God has given it to us so that we might know who He is and live in light of it, so that we might put it on, as it were, and be able to see properly. And this is actually what Jesus says multiple times in this passage. For example, he says in verse 23, he says, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. He doesn't just say anyone who loves me will will talk about my teaching, will study my teaching, though they're good things to do. He says, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. And so the way that you can tell if you really love Jesus, it's not just by what you say, but also by what you do. Do you seek to obey Jesus' teaching? Do you take His words seriously? Do you seek to put them into practice, to apply them to your life? Now, does this mean that we have no room to, to get it wrong? Of course not. We're imperfect people in the process of transformation. It's not about perfection, but it's about a new direction. And let's not get confused here. Let's not get the gospel back to front. Remember, it was God who first loved us. It was God who so loved the world that He sent His Son. It was Christ who died for us while we were still sinners. Now, all of that means that we don't obey God to be loved by God. We obey God because we already are loved by God. In other words, God's love for us is the root and our obedience is the fruit. God's love is the petrol in the engine of our lives. It propels our obedience. It motivates our discipline and our effort. I mean, think about this in other areas of your life. For example, if you love fishing, you will be disciplined about fishing. You'll drag yourself out of bed at 3 a.m. in the morning, even if it's raining and cold, and you will sit for hours on the water. Why? Because you love fishing. Your love motivates your obedience. And this is true in many other areas of life. If you love running, which is a bit crazy, but if you love running, you will make time to go running. Your love for your family motivates you to make sacrifices for your family. Love motivates our obedience. Now, why does our obedience to Jesus matter? Why is obedience to Jesus evidence that we love Jesus? Well, look at what Jesus goes on to say in verse 23. It's just beautiful. He says, Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. Now, remember last week, Jesus said that He is going to the Father's house to prepare a place for us. In other words, we will go home to be with God in the future. But even now, Jesus says, God is making His home in us. Now, what do you do when you move into a home? Well, you fill it with your stuff. You put your furniture in there. You hang your photos on the wall. You fix things up. You renovate certain areas. In other words, your home begins to reflect who you are. Well, God is making His home in us. He is making us to reflect Him. His character, His beauty. Now, this can be a bit of a painful process. 
because we have fallen into disrepair. We are in need of some serious renovation, inside and out. But God is the master builder. He knows what He's doing, and He will finish what He has started. It makes me think of a, uh, a quote from C.S. Lewis in his excellent book, Mere Christianity. He writes, he says, Imagine yourself as a living house. God comes in to rebuild that house. At first, perhaps, you can understand what He is doing. He is getting the drains right and stopping the leaks in the roof and so on. You knew that those jobs needed doing and so you were not surprised. But presently, He starts knocking the house about in a way that hurts and does not seem to make any sense. What on earth is He up to? The explanation is that He is building quite a different house from the one you thought of. Throwing out a new wing here, putting on an extra floor there, running up towers, making courtyards. You thought you were being made into a decent little cottage, but He is building a palace. He intends to come and live in it Himself. God is at work in your life. God is making His home in you. And the Holy Spirit has been sent to help us, to help us know Jesus and to help us obey His teaching so that we might become who God created us to be. It makes me think of a story I read this week about a man who bought a refrigerator. But not just any fridge. I mean, this was the top of the line, the the most expensive fridge you could buy. It had all the bells and whistles. Now, he was so excited that when he got it home, he he filled it with all of the best food and drink that he could imagine. The next day, though, when he rushed into the kitchen, he found that the milk was curdled and the ice cream had melted. The fridge wasn't working. The man called the store to give them a piece of his mind, but the man at the store said, "I, I don't understand. Open the door and see if the light comes on. He opens the door, no light. Put your ear close to the refrigerator. See if you can hear the the hum of the motor. No hum. Now, you might be able to see where this is going. The The man from the store says, there's a cord at the back of the refrigerator. Please check to see whether it's been plugged in. And sure enough, it wasn't plugged in. You see, fridges are dependent things. They depend on a power outside of themselves. And it doesn't matter how expensive that fridge is, how fancy that fridge is, if there is no power, it will not work. Now, we too are dependent. We depend on a power outside of ourselves. We need the power of the Holy Spirit if we are going to know Jesus and obey Jesus. And the good news is that God has given His Spirit to us freely. But what does this look like practically? How do we draw on the Spirit's strength in our life? Well, the promise that Jesus gave to the disciples in verse 26, that the Spirit would teach them and guide them into truth, it's a promise for you and me as well. Now, the promise for the disciples was a promise of inspiration. The Spirit would inspire them as they wrote the words of the Bible. The promise for us is a promise of illumination, That as we read the Spirit-inspired words of the Bible, the Spirit will illumine them and apply them to our hearts and lives. I mean, you might wonder, does God speak to us today? And the answer is yes. God speaks to us through the words of the Bible. It's in the Bible that God tells us that He loves us, that God tells His plans for us, that God opens His heart to us. The Bible is not just some kind of old collection of facts and stories about God. 
The Bible is the way that the Spirit relates to us and speaks to us. Hebrews 4 says, the Word of God is living and active. Ephesians 6 says that the sword of the Spirit, the way that we engage in the Christian life, it is what? The Word of God. If you want to experience the power of the Spirit, read the Bible expectantly. Pray its words regularly. Listen to it taught reliably. Use it to encourage one another and ask the Spirit to speak to you. I mean, when you prepare to listen to a sermon on a Sunday, ask, Spirit, what do you want me to see today? When you sit down to to read the Bible, ask, Holy Spirit, how would you have me apply this today? Now, this doesn't mean that we should expect an emotional, insightful experience every time we open the Bible. Sometimes we might walk away from the Bible feeling more confused than when we started. But we should expect that over time, as we prayerfully, diligently soak ourselves in the Scriptures, the Holy Spirit will grow in us our love for Christ, our desire to obey Christ. And this is why the Spirit has been sent to us, to bring us the presence of God, to help us to know and obey the truth of God, and thirdly and finally, to give us the peace of God. Now, in verse 27, it's kind of like Jesus' last will and testament. It tells us what Jesus intends to leave to his children. And it's not real estate or savings or superannuation or a stock portfolio. It's something far better than that. Jesus says in verse 27, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Now we all need peace, don't we? Our world needs peace. And Jesus promises to give it to us. Not just any peace, but my peace. He goes on, he says, I do not give to you as the world gives. Now, how does the world give peace? To put it simply, it's a temporary and tentative peace. It's a peace that lasts only as long as life lasts, and only as long as life is good. But the peace that Jesus gives, it is eternal and enduring. Because through the finished work of Jesus, we have peace with God both now and forever. We are loved and accepted by God. We don't have to prove ourselves. We don't have to measure up. We don't have to be good enough. We can receive what Christ gives to us and we can rest in what Christ has done for us. And this means that when the accusation from the enemy comes, and it will, that you're not good enough, you don't measure up, you can actually agree. You can say, yeah, yeah, I know. I know that I'm not and I know that I don't. But Christ is and Christ does and I am in Him. And this brings you an indestructible peace. It means you can get off the treadmill, the treadmill of having to do more and be more and have more and you can rest in who Christ says you are, in what Christ has done for you. And so the peace that Jesus gives, it brings peace to our hearts because it means that we have peace with God. But it's also a peace that brings us through the storms of life because it tells us that we have the presence of God with us. Now, rather than explain this to you, let me share with you an example of what this looks like in real life. 
I first read about Ned Isham a, a couple of years ago. Ned was born on the 19th of May 2012 in Tasmania. But on the 29th of March 2019, around this time last year, he succumbed to cancer. Ned passed away at the tender age of six years old. Now, Ned was the son of Seth and Emily, and he was the brother to Lucy, Eleanor, and Gilbert. Now, Ned's mum, Emily, blogged about their journey with Ned. And in a post on April 21, 2019, she wrote this. She said, There have been so many questions put to me about how we could possibly have faith despite our trials and bereavement. But we don't just cling to God's existence and sacrifice just because it makes us feel better about Ned's death. We don't just say our prayers because it makes the answers we give to our kids less painful. We actually don't know the answers. But our questions and tormented path don't negate God's existence. They don't negate our experience of His guidance and peace through such dark tunnels, though I railed against Him. They don't negate God's remarkable act to demonstrate His love for us by sending His Son to restore our broken relationship with Him. And it is this knowledge that has carried us through the most harrowing of turmoils, through the unanswered questions. It has filled us with a peace far beyond any clean bill of health or positive bone marrow result. Now the world can't give you a peace like that. Only Jesus can give you that peace. Because only Jesus has given himself for you And only Jesus can give the Spirit of God to you. And it's through the gift of God's Spirit that we can come to know the presence of God. That we'll never be alone. Through the gift of God's Spirit that we can come to know the truth of God. Have our lives changed as we are empowered to obey it. And it's only through the gift of God's Spirit that we can know the peace of God. A peace that surpasses all all understanding. And the best news of all is that this is a gift available for everyone. The gift of God's Spirit is not for the spiritually elite. It's not for those who have it all together. It's for those who know that they don't. It's for weak, needy failures like me. So have you given up the attempts to prove yourself to measure up, to be good enough? And have you thrown yourself into the arms of Jesus to receive His grace and to receive the gift of God's Spirit? He will not turn you away. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we praise you and we thank you that you sent your Son Jesus for us that he lived the life we haven't lived and he died the death that we deserved. But then he rose again, giving us the gift of a restored relationship with you, peace with you. And now, Lord, you have poured out your spirit into our hearts so that we might know you, so that we might begin to experience our lives changed by you and so that we might have peace with you and peace in the storms of life. So Lord, whatever we might find ourselves going through today, we ask and we pray that your Spirit might draw near to us, that your Spirit might fill us and give us 
all that we need to take the next step to keep moving forward with our eyes fixed on you. We thank you, Lord, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Church, let me pray this blessing over you from Romans 15. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.